Find me thankful. Find me on my knees. God needs us to have a heart and an attitude of, of seeking. God needs us to have a heart and an attitude of knocking. God needs us to have a heart and an attitude of asking. You know, it's, it's to the glory of God, according to uh, Proverbs, to hide a thing. And it's to the glory of kings or men. You realize that you are, that you are kings and priests. It's to the glory of kings to uncover a thing. And so God wants you to uncover the secret things that he has hidden just for you to find. And here's the cool thing. He said, ask, and you got a good chance of receiving. What? Ask, and you shall. You will receive. Seek, and just maybe. And you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. God wants you to discover and uncover and explore and find everything there is to find about him. Because in doing that, you uncover and find out everything there is about you. You know, there was a meeting took place quite a while ago. Um, I wasn't invited to this meeting, but I know it happened. Uh, because it is recorded, and there was these three pretty special guys. They got together and they said, "Let's make man in our image." And there was a father, there was a son, and there was the Holy Spirit. And God took and 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 made a pile of dirt, <laughs> and He breathed life into it, and there we were made in the image of God. Of course, ladies, you were highly fashioned. You weren't just a pile of dirt. You were well-crafted. And God, when he got done making you girls, he said, not just good, it's very good. And all the guys said, amen. We totally agree. But you were made in the image of God, and God wants you to uncover that. God wants you to discover who he is so that you can know who you are. God wants you to find out exactly who Jesus is so you can know exactly who you are. God wants you to discover all the things about Christ that made him powerful, that made him compassionate, that made him merciful, that made him good, that, that caused him to be driven. And he wants you to uncover it so that you can be exactly the same. One of the things that happened, and I think this is so cool, is that, that uh, Jesus, we know, uh, had a ministry, um, and it was 30 years old, and, and he comes to uh, his cousin, John, who's baptizing, and I'm not going to tell you anything new yet, uh, and, and uh, John sees him coming, and, and, and John says, oh, the Lamb of God, as, as the Holy Spirit bore witness with John that Jesus was the Son of the living God, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, the Prince of Peace, Almighty God, Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, and it happened once before. 
And John leaped in his mother's womb when Mary came in pregnant with Jesus. A fetus leapt in a womb over another glob of tissue that was in another woman. The recognition of the living God was a baby still in the womb leaping over the presence of the living God that was growing inside of another woman's womb. How cool is that? God, forgive us for what we're doing to our babies. That's not what my sermon's about. God, Jesus comes to John the Baptist and he's baptized to fulfill righteousness. Why? Because it was prophesied that he would do it. And so he, he goes under the water and as he comes out, the heavens open and the Holy Spirit comes and falls on Jesus. God says, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he's driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted that's part of it. He's driven on the Holy Spirit to be in the presence of God. We know that he's tempted. And the Bible says he comes out of the wilderness after being tempted by God. He's being tempted with his identity. If you're the son of God, make the stone bread. Next one, if you're the son of God and he's tempting whether or not God who said, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased, he's tempting Jesus' knowledge if, the God, if that God, his Father, really does love him. He says, because if you're the Son of God, throw yourself off this mountain and make God prove that he loves you. And Jesus says, no, I take my Father at his word. And I'm not going to tempt him. And Jesus comes out of the wilderness having been tempted, having fasted 40 days, and his first message to the church, it's brilliant because he's filled with the Holy Spirit who is brilliant. He's filled with the Holy Spirit who is the resident genius of heaven. And he says this awesome message, he says, repent, which means think different. Because the kingdom's here. Think different. It's not business as usual over the, like it's been for the last several thousand of, of years. We're not under the law anymore. The covenant of the blood, the covenant of righteousness, the covenant that's built on better promises is here, and it's time for you people to begin to think differently about it. And Jesus, for the next three years, goes about doing all these amazing things, teaching the disciples and demonstrating how powerful and how good he is. The real quick testimony. Jesus, and I've shared this before, feeds the 5,000. Oh, no, he doesn't. Time to feed the people. Jesus said to the disciples, they say, send them away into the town so they can get their food. And Jesus says, no. Think different. 
You feed them. Uh, what? Let me teach you. What have you got? A few loaves and a few fish. Jesus said, bring them. Let me bless them. He gave back five loaves and two fish to the people. Last week as I shared an offering, excuse me here. There, now I can say it clear. As I shared offering, remember the Old Testament, God poured manna out of heaven. And for 40 years, manna came from heaven. And every day the people went out and gathered the manna that God had poured out of heaven. And dealing with the offering, I shared with the scripture, it says that bring all your tithes into the storehouse, that there might be meat in my house. And Malachi says this, and prove me if I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive. And God out of heaven pours the blessing. God out of heaven pours the manna. And Jesus said, think different. You feed them. So they take the few loaves and the few fish and they pass it out. And 5,000 men are fed, not including the women and the children. And what does the scripture say concerning giving in the new covenant? Old covenant, bring your tithe to the storehouse. God opens the windows of heaven. New covenant, give, and it will be given. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. God will cause to do what? To give. Think Different. Old covenant, windows open. God still opens windows, but then he pours that blessing into the new covenant out through men. 5,000 people were fed, and then know what the disciples do? They went around and from men collected 12 baskets of food. Not only was the need met for the day, but the provision of the future was also provided. And out of five loaves and two fish, the extra that came in was 12 baskets full. Think different. It's not about just today. But Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and operated under the understanding that came from the brilliance that is God. And he didn't do things based off how we've always done it. He didn't do things based off how the flesh thinks. He did things based off how heaven works. And the Spirit of God said, here's the new covenant. Here's the new operation. I'm empowering you. But not to do it by flesh and blood, but to do it by my Spirit. I'm not asking you to be brilliant. I'm not asking you to be powerful. I'm going to be brilliant, and I'm going to be powerful, but I'm going to do it in you and through you. I'm taking the pressure off. You just need to listen and obey. Turn with me to John chapter 14. I don't have much time, but I want to share a couple scriptures with you. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to the disciples. And he says in verse uh, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. God is not abandoning, nor will he ever abandon his people. 
I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Yet in a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, all, because I live you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus said, look, guys, there's coming a time I'm going to go away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. In chapter 15, Jesus continues this conversation with the boys, and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. How many of you uh, are bearing a little fruit? I hope somebody raises her hand. <laughs> oh, my goodness. How many of you want to bear more fruit? Got to be pruned. Ouch. We had raspberry bushes growing up as kids. And we had, I don't know, lots. And every other day when they came in, we had to get up early. And we had to get out there because there's something about picking raspberries starting at 6 o'clock. It's better than starting at 8. I don't get it, but I, that's what happened. My sisters, Kitty and Kathy, who are right here, were sitting between my, on the other, each side of my beautiful mama, um, would be sent down the row first with their little their quart containers, followed by Wendy and I right behind them. They would pick, and we would pick what they didn't get. They'd pick a quart. I'd pick three-quarters of a quart because of how much I ate. And then my grandpa and my mother would come behind us, and they would get about 20 quarts each off what we just picked because we were that efficient. But rows and rows of them. But every year, grandpa would go out and take those raspberry bushes and take those take those uh, um Suckers, thank you, and get rid of them. Because if you let a sucker go, it still needs nutrition to live. And the roots of that plant only bring so much nutrition. And if you let suckers attach themselves and stay there, they will take away from what the fruit needs to be good. So God comes along and says, get rid of the suckers in your life. Get rid of those things that are distracting you. Get rid of those things that are stopping you from being used by the Holy Spirit. It could be all sorts of things. God says it's time to start saying no to things that are not producing in your life and saying yes to things that are. God's saying, let's get rid of the suckers. Can you trust me? Will you be willing to be pruned? What's pruning? Well, you get in the Word, and all of a sudden, the Word convicts you of something you're doing. And you stop it because it's not godly. Okay, you hear mom and dad, listen to this one. Sometimes the sucker in your life is your kid. Well, I'd be spending more time in my Bible, but I've got to take my kid there, and I've got to do this with my baby, and I've got to do that with my, my child, and I've got to do this with my child, and I've got to do that, and the child runs the house. That preaches pretty good. But it's really hard to say no to kids. But sometimes you have to prioritize some things because you need to produce. And if all you do is spoil them, they don't produce and you don't produce. That's why I was hard on my kids. No, no, no. Right, Morgan? Oh, mom was that, the hard one. Okay. 
You raise the child in the way they should go, not in the whims that they have. How should they go? Well, I mean, it, you can take that, raise the child in the Word of God, how they should go. But also, what are their gifts and what are their talents? Help them focus there. Plug them into the things of God in their life, those things that they, that they're, that they are, are gifted at and talented at. Raise them in the way they should go. But don't just haphazard and do anything and everything. Prune the suckers. Because all of a sudden, you're not doing a thing with your life. Because too much care has gotten in the way of God. Allow him to prune you. Skip down a little bit. It says this in verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove. If you don't have that word underlined, underline it. And so prove to be my disciples. And the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. That word prove, and so prove, it means and so produce proof. If you prove something, you produce proof that it's true. God wants you to be a proof producer in everything that you do. He wants you to produce proof that his word is true, that his spirit dwells in you in power that he does things and he is using you to make a difference in life. Produce proof. Look at verse six, chapter 16. You are getting the really short version of this message. But when the helper comes from whom I will send to you, from the Father, the Spirit of truth, but when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me and also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Underline bear witness. It's there twice. Bear witness. Bear witness. You go back and you look that up. It means and he will produce proof. Oh, that was 15. Sorry. 26. Now I'm going to go. That was 26 and 27. Now I'm going to go into chapter 16. See how I am? I'm trying to give you the short version, and I'm messing it up so you don't even know where I'm at. 15, 26, and 27 talks about the helper producing proof in us, through us. Now in chapter 16, 7, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away from Man, could you imagine the disciples walking with Jesus, living with Jesus, learning from Jesus, that I got to go away. And you'd be going, huh? Wait, wait a minute. You're the captain of the team. You're the inspiration. You're the idea man. You're the power man. You're the provider man. No, I got to go. See you later. And by the way, this is to your advantage. Okay. That's not how they thought. Peter rebuked him. No, you can't. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Ouch. Think different. I got to go. If I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. If I don't go, the resident genius of heaven will not be able to come and be in you. I got to go. Why? Because I'm going to send him. That's my, that's my job. That's my assignment. Father sent me, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's going to dwell in you. And you need his brilliance in you. 
to be successful. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. That fulfills righteousness. Jesus had to go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, Jesus had to sit down at the right hand of the Father, and that provided the final nail in the coffin, so to speak, of the work of the devil on this earth. His power was over. He resurrected. He ascended. He seated. He put the blood on the mercy seat, took back the keys. It's over. Sealed it. It's done. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now when the spirit of truth comes. There's a lot more to say, but you're going to need the Holy Spirit to get it. But the Holy Spirit doesn't come until Jesus leaves. So the Holy Spirit is going to speak what Jesus speaks, what Jesus tells him, and it tells you that. He is only going to speak what Jesus declares, and that's how you're going to get the rest of this. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so God can continue to speak to you and unveil and develop you in the things of the kingdom. Verse 16, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while you will see me. Acts chapter 1. Jesus is talking to the disciples after he is resurrected. And he says in verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. We just talked about that promise in verses 14 and 16, the Holy Spirit. You've heard me, for John, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. <clears throat> the verse 8, but when you receive power, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. When? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. The power of God comes from the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Oh, there's that word witness again. What does that mean? A proof producer. Too many of us as believers believe that I'm going to be a witness for Christ. And what does that mean? I am going to tell people about Jesus. That is a small piece of what a witness is about. Your verbal testimony is a small chunk of being a witness. God has asked you to produce proof not just in what you say, but in how you live, in the actions that you take. And I'm going to show you one other thing here in just a minute that's, that, that, that is where God is asking Amazing Grace to go next. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said this, you're going to be my witnesses just like Adam was supposed to in the garden. He was given Eden. You rule and subdue this. And then when you have children and you raise them in the way they should go, you're going to need more territory. Eden will expand. Isn't the devil cast down on the earth? Too bad for him. Because you're going to raise more kids and they're going to have kids and they're going to expand the territory and expand the territory till the whole world is consumed with the knowledge of the goodness of God and the power of God. There will be no place for the enemy and he will totally be destroyed at that time. 
course, he fought for his life and he deceived Adam. Here, Eve and Adam sinned, and for a season, he had the keys. They've been given back. And now Jesus is saying, it is time to get back to the plan that was set forth in the beginning, to rule and subdue the earth by the power of God, testifying and being a witness, producing proof of who God is, and bringing about the submission of the territory and the submission of creation into line with the purposes and the plans of God. And the people who have been put in charge of doing that is you. God isn't doing anything on this earth without you because he doesn't lie. Man, he said to Adam, he said, you're going to rule and subdue the earth. Adam blew it. God didn't say, well, I guess that didn't work out. I guess I'll take it back. What other promise is he going to take back then? God is not going to put himself in a position that he could be questioned for his integrity and for his word. That's why Jesus had to come to earth as a man. He couldn't come as God. Because it was up to man to redeem what man blew, what man messed up. So Jesus came, and everything he did on this earth, he did as man. And he had to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to operate in power. And guess what? As a man, he needed the Holy Spirit. As a man, as a woman, you need the Holy Spirit. You can't do it without him. But you can't produce proof without him. Chapter 2 of Acts, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven the sound of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as, uh, as a fire appeared on them and rested on each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They spill out into the streets. They're accused of being drunk as, as people are hearing them speak in their own language. And Peter begins to preach. They said, and how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? The power of the Holy Spirit. I was in Brazil uh, three years ago, Stevie and I, and I'm, I'm, we're, we're praying for the sick. And this lady comes up and she's got a big tumor that's sticking out of the side of her neck. And uh, through the interpreter... They speak Portuguese. I find out information about this woman, about what she's dealing with. And we begin to pray. And I begin to pray in the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, as I was praying in the Holy Spirit, the dialect that I was speaking changed. And there will be times that I'm praying in the Holy Spirit, and, and different. you can tell something different breaks out. My normal prayer language begins to sound differently. And it began to sound so differently. And as soon as it did, she looked up and she's staring me right in the eyes. And I'm speaking to her with authority. I have no idea what I'm saying. But I'm there and I'm doing it. And all of a sudden, I didn't do anything different. I had my hands on her like I do a lot of you. Just grab them by the, grab them by the jowls and the cheeks and just get you. But I'm praying in this whatever language, and all of a sudden the power of God comes on this woman and she falls to the ground. And within a few minutes she gets back up and, and she is completely healed. There is no sign of this growth whatsoever. And she begins to talk to me. I don't know what you're saying. And she's looking at me very strange. 
is she talks to me. And then she, in, the, in Portuguese, she says to the interpreter, who says to me, oh, I thought because you were speaking to me in Italian a few minutes ago that you spoke Italian. She was from Italy. She resettled in Brazil. And God began to tell her what he was doing to her in her native tongue. Thank God I got out of the way. I don't speak Italian. So when she got up, she began thinking I spoke Italian to talk to me. God begins to do things. God begins to move in power. God begins to demonstrate. Are these Galileans? But yet we're hearing them in our own language. And Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, begins to preach in the last day. And it shall, there shall be show of signs and wonders. And it will come to pass. I saw the Lord. You have made known to me. Brothers, I may say to you, and so on and so on, the Lord said to my Lord, and finally, there were added to the church 3,000 people that first day as the Spirit of God moved in power and the disciples produced proof of what God was doing and the power of God. I only have just a couple more minutes, so I want to get to this, and I won't do the whole thing. Romans chapter 8. If you would turn there, Paul begins to speak and to teach. And he begins to teach about the, to us about living by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he starts out, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Listen, Paul was well aware, and God is well aware, that man sin and falls short of the glory. But God is well aware that the blood of Christ redeems us and reestablishes in righteousness. And we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And the reason he gave the Holy Spirit to empower us to overcome and to walk in victory and to walk in, in success and to demonstrate the kingdom of God on the earth. And if we are pursuing Christ, there is no condemnation for the shortcomings we have because our pursuit is after him. And if we fall short, his blood, his propitiation for our sin, he's the ongoing sacrifice. That sacrifice never quits. It doesn't stop until we go, oh, sorry, God. God knows the heart of us that says we are choosing to walk after him. And therefore, there is instant redemption so that we can continue the work doesn't mean we don't have a, a repentant heart. And it doesn't mean we don't ask God to forgive. But God said sin does not stand in the way of righteousness that's been covered and, and been redeemed by the blood. Doesn't give you a license to sin. Doesn't give you a right to sin. Doesn't give you the, the, the right to say, well, I'll deal with that next year. Listen, if you've got things in your life that are contrary to the things of God, you need to deal with them. God's empowered you to do that through, re through repentance, thinking different, through asking for forgiveness and being restored, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, and I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation, or the, uh, the Passion Translation. Verse 14 says, The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. If you want to be a mature 
believer, you have to be moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. Religion tries to tell you that you have to live good enough to receive God. You know, if I live good enough, I'll make it to heaven. And religion tries to control you by saying, if you don't live up to the standard that we've set for you, you're in trouble. And so we live in fear. God says, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, love, power, and a sound mind. I've given you my brilliant Holy Spirit to lead you. His impulses will guide you. His teachings will direct you, and you will walk in my righteousness. Okay? But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, God, you are my beloved Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us, and he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Jesus had to deal with that in the wilderness. If you're the Son of God, God said, you're my beloved. He said, I don't question it. God is telling you that you're his beloved. He's bearing witness of that by the Holy Spirit. Do not question that. And since, verse 17, we are his true children, we qualify to share in all his treasures. Wow. Anybody think there's a lot of treasures in heaven with God? Absolutely. And you qualify to share in all of them. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joint heirs to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his suffering as our own. Jesus, what you did on the cross was for me. I receive that as my own. Therefore, I get to be co-heirs with all that you have including the brilliant Holy Spirit. Verse 18, I am convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory. That doesn't matter what we go through. That doesn't even begin to compare to the glory that's of God working in us. That's about to be unveiled in us. Here we're getting to what I want to tell you about. The entire universe is standing on its tiptoes. Why? Yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. Creation is waiting for you to be unveiled. Creation is waiting for you to take your spot as the ruler and subduer that God commissioned you to in the beginning as humanity. God has not and will not usurp his word, and therefore the word that he spoke over the ruling and subduing of the earth is still valid, and it falls on you, and the creation is waiting for you to begin to operate as the child of the living God. For against it, 
will the universe itself, or excuse me, for against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequence of human sin. Do you realize the earth was cursed when man sinned? The earth didn't do nothing wrong, but it was cursed because man was cursed. And it's been operating in futility ever since, and it is waiting for its redemption. Didn't Jesus do that? Yes. Now it's time for you to stand up and do your part in the fulfillment of that. Jesus is one man. Adam had a part of the world called Eden. God needed more than just Adam to control the ground so it could expand. That's your job. All creation longs for freedom uh, for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming from God's children. To this day, we are aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation as it were in the contractions of, birth, of labor for childbirth. The earth, man, is trying to birth something, but it needs you. And it's not just creation. We who have already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit also inwardly groan as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughter, including our physical bodies being transformed. For this is the hope of our salvation. We are groaning. We are longing. We are, our bodies are aching to be transformed. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us that we're being transformed into His glory with ever-increasing glory that comes from the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. What is your ministry? To be like Christ. To be transformed. 24, For this is the hope of our salvation. But hope means that we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. For why would we need to hope for something we already have? So because our hope is set on what is yet to be seen, we patiently keep on waiting for its fulfillment. Line upon line, precept upon precept, God is transforming us. We are growing. We're studying to show ourselves to prove. We are developing. We're walking. We're maturing in the things of God, and we can't stop doing that. But it's the Holy Spirit that does that within us. Verse 26, I'm almost done. Got to be done. In a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human uh, frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times we don't even know how to pray or know the best thing to ask for, but the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional signs too deep for words. The Holy Spirit begins to make intercession. How? And creation begins to respond. Out of that, suddenly there comes an interpretation and a declaration that's made in a prophetic voice as a, as a tongue is interpreted, and it becomes a prophetic word from the utterance of God to a situation, to a thing, to a whatever, to change. And we begin to decree in the authority that we have, all authority, Jesus said, I give to you to tread upon any form of the enemy. I have given you authority. We need to operate in it. 27. God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desire of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his Holy One, in perfect harmony with God's plan for our destiny. So we're convinced. 
Therefore, all things work together for good to those who love God and called according to his purpose. A lot of you have memorized that scripture that way, and we think, well, my cancer is working together for my good. Well, my, my circumstance, my situation, no, none of that works together for your good. God will be great in it and heal you and deliver you. But it is your development. You're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the brilliant of the Holy Spirit, super interceding for you, bringing passionate and, and intimate details of God to you that make the difference. So we are convinced, 28, that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. And to become just like him. But it doesn't happen without the filling of the Holy Spirit. Mona. What you're doing in Saginaw, Saginaw is screaming for it to happen. And God is raising up men and women to redeem Saginaw. Mark, your ground that you've originally got was screaming to produce with brilliant production. And you began to speak and redeem it. And you produced far greater yields than farmers right around you. Your children are screaming, whether they know it or not, for you to speak into their life and to teach them and to train them. Your neighbors, your family members, your workplace, God is desperately wanting creation to rise up and redeem. Starving Gratiot was what Gratiot County was known as. I didn't like that. It was time to redeem it. Really quick testimony. There were some things that were were weeks away from bankruptcy in Breckenridge. When Carrie looked at me and said, are you going to run for president again? Because it's not going in the direction it was going or it needs to go. Yeah, I will. Because God is looking for men and women to rise up and redeem. <clears throat> Within a few years, Breckenridge now is the fastest growing economic community per capita in the state of Michigan. Gratiot County is the second fastest growing county in the state of Michigan. God threw, dropped a couple ideas. One of the ideas he just dropped into my heart was marry agriculture and industry. Sounds easy. It's never been done. Why? Because they don't go together. Why? Well, because they don't. There's no language to, to marry the two. That sounds silly to me. All right, so I gathered five people. I'll toot my own horn. I was one of them. I'll toot my daughter's horn. Alicia was another one and three others, and we began to defy the logic of man because God gave an idea. Less than a year, we submitted language to the state of Michigan for the first agri-industrial park in the state. They looked it all over after telling us it couldn't be done, and they sent back a ruling. Huh, I guess it can. As God gave inspiration for language, it went to Washington. 
Next thing we know, we're getting a visit from the Secretary of Agriculture from President Obama. And guess who showed up with him? Our Senator, Carl Levin, and some of the press. And Senator Levin begins to tell him how he came up with this brilliant idea. <laughs> I never saw him at one of our meetings. He never brought donuts or anything. The questions began to go to Sen Senator Levin about the language and things in there. Well, we'll let these people explain it to you. We became the first one in the nation. We're not the only one in the nation now. God is doing some amazing things. And God is using the redeemed to redeem. God is using you by the power of the Holy Spirit to do things. You may not write language for political stuff, but I did, and I had fun doing it, and I'll do some more. But you are going to do things that redeem the areas of influence that God has put you in by the Spirit of God and only by the Holy Spirit of God. So we're closing this way. If you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, if you have never spoken tongues, you've been prayed for, but you haven't spoken tongues, I'm going to invite you to come forward to be filled or to speak in your prayer language. It is the pump primer. Speaking in tongues is the primer of your Holy Spirit pump. All right? We do it. That's what they did. That's the You see it all through Scripture. They spoke in tongues. There was utterance that came with it. So as we dismiss... Quietly go get your kids and whatnot. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, because we're done for today, you come to the front. We want to lay hands on you. It's time for you to, to take back your territory. It's time for you to take back your family. It's time for creation to be redeemed by the power of God that dwells in you through the Holy Spirit as he super intercedes through you and divinely inspires you to do great for his kingdom. Repent. Think different. It's in your hands. The kingdom's here. You are dismissed, but please come up if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit or you, or you want to receive your prayer language. It's your moment. It's your time. If, you're, if you pray at the altar, I need your help to do that.